Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. With me this week is Christopher Altamere, CEO of Nova Analytic Lab. Thank you very much for joining me today, Christopher. Hi, how are you? I'm doing okay. Do you prefer Chris or Christopher? Chris is fine. Oh, very good. All right. Well, before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter. Make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. Chris, I like to start with a little bit of background. So how was it that you got your start in the cannabis industry? And so I got my start in the analytical field. Um, doing t- testing in pharmaceutical toxicology and forensic space. So in a laboratory testing different biological and pharmaceutical compounds and kind of around um, 2018 or so when uh, cannabis really the way the legalization wave started, um, I got an opportunity to do some consulting out West um, in uh, some cannabis laboratories. And I quickly realized there was a real lack of professionals trained in analytical chemistry in the space. So decided uh, business partners and I decided, well, we could stop doing this for other people and do it ourselves. And that's when we found an opportunity in Portland, Maine. Uh, they were just legalizing, getting ready for their adult use market and uh, needed some laboratories up there. Coming from the pharma side of things, what was it like when you were consulting out on the West Coast? And did anything kind of uh, raise your eyebrows a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when I said lack of professionals in this space, I mean, really, people that did not have training in analytical chemistry. Um, but coming coming to contact with a few laboratories that back then that were being managed by people just finishing with a bachelor's degree, real no experience running a production laboratory. And I saw, and so my background is, comes from very highly regulated industries, and we're doing types of tests where if you got the result wrong, you could potentially harm or even injure or kill a person on the other end, right? So quality has always been the first and foremost in my mind. And I think uh, laboratories were initially set up thinking, you know, we could put an instrument there and it's going to print some money. Well, this is a very delicate technology and you have to really stay on top and know how to operate these uh, instruments to put out quality data. And that was, that was really lacking. So that was around 2018. Have we, have you seen a transition to more professional labs overall in the industry? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think there used to be a lot of blatant fraud. Um, and I think that's kind of come around now to a certain extent. I think it still happens, but to um, less, um, at least it's less obvious nowadays. <laughs> uh, we've all heard of lab shopping and that still occurs, but um, I think people are doing it less blatantly or, you know, we're truly starting to clean some of that up. I think the regulated, regulatory bodies are doing a better job of that now as well. Okay. What are some of the examples of the less blatant fraud that we're seeing now? Yeah. So I think some, some um, examples you might really still revolve around potency numbers. Mm. Um, And I think some of it comes down to maybe not great science. And when I think a lot of the state regulating bodies are, they're better at regulating rules and policies and procedures, as opposed to the actual science that is happening. So when they look at a methodology and they go to license that laboratory for it, they might not pick up on some of the technical aspects of those methods that aren't quite accurate. So one of the things that I've seen as an example is um, when we analyze 
cannabinoids. They're very similar compounds. And you do something called chromatographic analysis with a detector, either as a UV detector or a mass spec detector. Well, regardless, you have to separate these compounds individually through chromatography because if they come out underneath of each other, they can influence one other signal and you can mismeasure them essentially. So Delta nine and Delta eight, those are pretty prevalent compounds and Delta eight and Delta nine on a chromatograph are very close to one another. If you don't separate them, you could identify Delta eight as Delta nine, so on and so forth. Or even if there's a mixture of them, you might, you might calculate the entire contents of that cannabinoid as a Delta nine where it should have been Delta eight or something like that. Um, so, so kind of like the lack of understanding of the science kind of leads to the quality of the data being in jeopardy. Okay. So when you and your partners decided to set up shop in Maine, what did you guys do to make sure that you were kind of bringing best practices to the industry? Yeah. So we actually go above in our laboratory, we go above and beyond what the state requires, for instance, for like QC requirements, the type of QCs that we run. Um, We've taken a lot of what we've done in our methods from our previous roles in the toxicology, clinical laboratory space, and the pharmaceutical realm where their QC is a little more stringent and a little more um, robust in the fact that it allows more real-time monitoring of your data throughout the process. There's throughout in the laboratory, there's many things you have to QC and that's where we make sure our procedures uh, take into account the sample handling up front, the sample extraction and preparation, the instrumentation and operation of that instrument, and then the post data review, data entry, and all these other pieces. Um, some QC, you have to have different QC for each of those areas. We make sure we have dedicated QC and procedures in place to, to monitor all of those systems. When you were starting Nova, were you more drawn to the ability to do it right, sort of be like a best in class, or was it to be your own boss? Um, a little bit of both. I definitely um, enjoy being the best at something. So I knew that we could build a better process and technology than most other labs are using right now. And I feel proud that we've really done that in Maine and uh, kind of really identified as like one of the more high end and quality laboratories in the space. Have you worked with Maine regulators at all just to try and give them a sort of a, a leg up in terms of what they're looking for uh, when it comes to lab testing? Yeah, they've actually been very collaborative with us over the over the years. Um, they did a smart thing in that they're they have a kind of two pronged licensing um, procedure for the labs. They have their Office of Cannabis Cannabis Policy, which does all the licensing and policy elements, but they also have a certification program for the labs that they um, channel through the main centers for disease control. So our regulators and inspectors in that space are actual chemists or microbiologists that help review the data and. Um, they have, you know, organized meetings with the laboratories in Maine and come together as a kind of a round table. Like, here's what we're trying to do. We don't really understand it. What are you seeing and how are you doing in your lab? And they've been very collaborative in that respect um, with us and in the industry as, as well. So you were the first company to test for pesticides in Maine. Is that because you were one of the earliest to open your doors or you saw a real uh, lack of testing in the market? Yeah, so we decided that we would launch our laboratory with all the tests available because we 
thought it was important for public health. Um, the, a lot of the regulations were being developed at the time as we were trying to launch. We weren't really sure what was going to be required. What ended up happening was Maine launched their adult use market for various reasons, <clears throat> launched their adult use market without the required tests for metals, uh, heavy metals, residual solvents, and pesticides. It wasn't up until, believe it or not, <clears throat> This uh, last the 2022, December, January 2020, um, sorry, yeah, January 2023, that the pesticides just became active. So we've been running with the market for about a year and a half, two years without those required tests. But, you know, we've been testing them from the beginning and folks that really cared about it were still doing that testing on the side so they could show their product was, you know, safe and um yeah. I mean, you say, what are some of those various reasons that uh, they decided not to include that? Just because when it comes to testing for pesticides, that seems like sort of a base level testing. <clears throat> so they were worried about the laboratories. The, uh, so there was only two licensed laboratories at the time, ourself and Nelson Analytical. Um, and then another one came aboard called Cat Labs recent, um, a little after. And um, we were the only lab that could test for it. And they were worried about lab capacity in the state. Uh, we told them we could easily handle it, but they still wanted to wait for a second and third options, which in my mind, I was quite honestly, I thought it was a poor decision because public health should come before getting this stuff out to market. Right. Um, and I think they were, they, there was a lot of, um, there've been a lot of issues with the rollout and regulations in Maine, a lot of pushback from industry folks. And I think they were trying to be gentle about their inclusion of more and more rules, regulations, and expense due to testing. Okay. In your opinion, how and why are operators still failing tests? Uh, good question. So I think for the most part, people are trying to do it correctly. And when, meaning they're following, they have good business practices, they're not using pesticides, they're not trying to get a around something. There are just a lot of unknown inputs that go throughout this entire process. It's a several month process, things can happen. Um, we've had, we've, for most of the adult use failures we see, um, med medical and in, uh, in, in Maine is not currently regulated. So that's a whole nother story. But um, in adult use um, testing, when someone flags for pesticides, now it's after they've been operating and they know how to cultivate and extract without introducing these things, it usually comes from some raw input that they had brought into their system that they didn't check. For instance, the soil, um, fertilizer, um, we've run into people just like starting a new facility and during construction, the area was contaminated somehow. Um, molds, you know, the cleaning procedures, not um, done well enough. And but we're, we, we really partner with the, our clients. So when they have an issue, we'll go into their facility. We'll take samples of all those things. We'll swab. We'll help them get down to the bottom of it. And once that happens, once or twice, they really lock into their procedures. They know what's coming in and going out. And they rarely have an issue. Again, uh, testing. Uh, that's just kind of our way of helping them help themselves. <laughs> Did you say that the medical side in Maine isn't regulated? Yeah. How about that? Um, yeah. Medical um, testing or yeah, the medical market in, I'm trying to think of the date, but it's was around before the adult use. Right. And they have this market of caregivers or several thousand of the couple, like two to 3000, I think caregivers now. And um, it was this very small sort of mom and pop sort of um, 
pr- pr- a program initially where you know a caregiver could have five or six patients and that's all they could sell to but the rules and regulations for medical have changed drastically over the last few years that you know some medical producers now are make are as large as or bigger than adult use companies so they've gone from like small mom some of them have gone from small mom and pop to large business and in the last couple of years, the Office of Cannabis Policy has tried to regulate uh, medical by introducing testing, track and trace, but um, it was too much too soon, too quick for the industry to sort of handle. And through legislative actions, they've blocked some of that. I understand there's going to be another attempt or another round of regulating, but yeah, up until this point, there are real no testing requirements for main medical cannabis um some we do get people that are trying to do the right thing and test and put tested product out in the shelves but uh yeah you can grow and sell to anyone with the medical card without having a tested product okay that makes no sense to me and coming from a pharmaceutical background i mean honestly that just seems i mean not not that there should be a lack of regulation in the recreational market but uh i feel like medical that should be the one where you really have some checks and balances in place. Yeah, kind of like it's counterintuitive to think medicine not regu- you know not tested. I mean, the most important thing here is, I mean, we have immunocompromised people taking this m- material potentially, so molds and pesticides, and just I mean, the, the, at the base level, you want consistency in your medicine. Every time I take my gummy or this product, and I want ten milligrams, I'm getting ten milligrams, so I get the same effect. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just they've been able to block a lot of the regulations. I mean, is that what it's going to take to overcome these legislative blocks? Is a patient going to need to have a very serious interaction or um, possibly like a fatality in order for some real change to happen? I mean, that would be a real shame, wouldn't it? Um, I yeah. think the legislators and uh, no, I'm sorry, I think the regulators now there's um there's a new head of the ocp and i think that there is strong attention right now on getting this market regulated to what success they will be able to do that because the um, legislature has been very supportive of putting in business friendly passing business friendly friendly laws as opposed to public health focused laws but um i think I got. It. I mean, if someone has to die to change a law, that's pretty sad, right? Uh, let's not have to go there. But I mean, right now there's uh, no clear path forward. Are operators on the medical side also involved on the adult use side, or do they sort of say separate just because it's kind of still the wild west from a regulatory perspective? Some people have maintained both licenses, license categories. They are able to do that, um, but. I would say um, for the most part, people have shifted completely into adult use if they've done it. Okay. Um, you had mentioned remediation. Um, do you have one preferred method of uh, cannabis remediation when it comes to some of the products that are failing these tests? So pesticides and heavy metals um, are very hard to remediate. Um, and it also depends on the specific pesticide or chemical that is there. I think the easiest thing to remediate are for molds and bacteria. Um, there's a lot of things you can do. Peroxide, it eh, doesn't really work too much. Uh, gamma, like different radiation techniques. The one that I've seen um, 
I think the most successful and leaves the product still in its best sort of state afterwards unchanged is x-ray radiation because it's a little less um a lot of people have been using ozone i think and that's reactive ox oxygen species and that can really react also it's it's non-specific it really can react with the cannabinoids and terpenes sometimes the product looks a little brown after it but the x-ray radiation because it's can be tuned in a little more specific to the cells that you're trying to kill and less exposure time i've seen the product after that and it still looks like initial bud flower <laughs> okay i mean is it because people within the industry are more holistic or it seems like there's a lot of pushback when it comes to x-ray remediation is it simply because of the name is it like a branding problem yeah, I mean, I don't know. Are you, do you think people think it's like not safe because it's radiation? And yeah, yeah, I think it's a lack of understanding. I mean, it's like putting your carry on through a TSA pre, like TSA check. You're you're fine taking it, picking it up afterwards. It's not left. There's no residual radiation left behind, and you can't get cancer or anything through that exposure. Um, yeah, I think it's just a lack of understanding. Maybe they should rebrand the name. When it comes to these failed tests. How often are you seeing are you seeing them? We get we get them every day. Um, you know, we actually um, we're about to talk about some pesticide failure data that we looked at in the state of Maine, and there's a big discrepancy between the voluntary non-compliance data that we look at and the compliance um, data. Um, we'll be releasing that in the next couple weeks. I can't talk about it right now, but um, there's a big discrepancy. Um, failures happen every day, but on the adult use side where it is regulated and the, the operators are just operating in a more thought out procedural process because they have to, because if their, their test fails, their entire crop potentially has to be destroyed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't have the, those restrictions and requirements in the medical side. They could technically still sell it if they wanted to. So the failures sort of come up and then they subside for an individual, for, for a specific licensing plateau, um, I, if I had to look at our overall failure rate, it's probably it's less than 10%, probably somewhere around 5% of samples every day that are failing. Well, quite the cliffhanger. Please let us know uh, when you can actually talk about that. Um, you know, are you seeing, are these sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, repeat offenders that are uh, failing tests? Or does it, is it something that kind of hits every operator from time to time? Yeah, so I think... Um, so it really depends on, first of all, the products that people are pr producing. I think when you, the more cyclical approach, like for instance, happens with, uh, cultivators and mold and, and bacterial exposure when they have an issue, it like flares up for all their samples and then we help them get it under control and then they're good for a while. And then it might come back. Hopefully they've keep up with their cleaning procedures and it never comes back. Um, and then you have like people manufacturing products and they might leave a little butane behind and that's like, they get a spike here and there potentially. Um, but usually like in the, like I said, the, there's like a, almost like a training and a, and a consistency that they start to get and they stop failing period. Okay. Some people within the industry think that maybe we should relax testing and that's, um, it's too stringent right now in terms of threatening businesses and stuff. Is that the answer? 
Um, I definitely think there has been over-regulation in testing to a certain extent. In Maine, um, they used to have a rule where every time you transfer license types, you had to run a full compliance test. Um, but it, now we have something called more final form testing, where it's just after the product is made in its final form. I could say that with air quotes because there's a few things that are not correct with our final form testing. But that principle is all the tests must be completed on the final product that's going to be sold to the consumer. And that's, I think, a good method of testing. Why test something initially, then manipulate it and retest it for the same thing? Um, there is a caveat right now in Maine where they allow heavy metal testing and um, pesticide testing on flower material. And then you can process it down into a concentrate and not have to test it again. But the problem with that is if you test the flower material, the pesticide level might not be detectable, but once you concentrate it to you know five, 10 X, all of a sudden you might see that pesticide there. Not to mention if your extraction equipment and all your handling processes are actually where the pesticide or heavy metal is introduced, the final form is not tested. So we have a little kind of issue in my opinion with the way we're doing final form testing, but I think um, over-regulation has happened, um, but that's where it stops. I mean, I know, understand testing is expensive, but we're looking at, we're talking about public health, patient health and safety. And um, are you going to, you know, a quick buck for someone's health is I think not where we need to go in this industry. We're also, I mean, my position and kind of our role in this industry is to help legitimize the industry. I think there has been a lot of stigma around cannabis and this space in general. And our involvement in the results that we put out and the certification of all these of all these material going on shelves for people to buy gives some level of, you know, comfort and um, legitimizes what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. If we were able to just grow grow anything, manufacture anything, one put on the shelf, and people are getting sick, I mean, how 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 would that harm the, the space? You know, is the difference in medical and adult use testing like? widely known throughout the state just because if i'm a medical patient i'm buying adult use cannabis to treat myself just because i feel like it's a safer product yeah there was actually a group i forget the name of the group um in maine about a year ago they did a blind survey of patients and it was something like less than 50 or around that 50 percent mark of people didn't realize that the cannabis they were buying from a medical dispensary wasn't tested so um, it's common knowledge. <laughs> and I guess you've answered this in a number of ways, but if you had to succinctly describe the state of the cannabis industry in Maine, how would you describe it? Um, I think there is a little turmoil going on right now. Um, I think prices, I, I, I'm not too familiar with all this sort of data, but I know there's a lot of talk um, are let me start with this. So our summer tour season was very poor. So I think the adult use market is over has uh, too much inventory. So prices have plummeted. Same with uh, the medical cannabis. And there's been such a push for uh, less regulation in the medical market and no track and trace. It's allowed the black market to kind of flourish. So I think the medical market is seeing competition there. Um, so I think there's a recalibration that's happening and starting to go on. Okay. Is part of this recalibration, is Maine in a better place now than it was when it first came online or is it worse? 
that's hard to say. I think we're definitely in a better place. I think our infrastructure to handle the market is much better now as well. Operators are making money, uh, the ones that are doing it correctly. And I've, I see, I'm seeing companies grow. So I think that's a good sign. When you look at other labs in different states, do you see an opportunity to uh, grow and expand into other territories? Yeah, actually, we just entered into a joint venture with a group called Certified Testing and Data, and we're opening a lab in Albany, New York together. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we um, already have the lab pretty much built and probably shooting for opening in sometime in the late fall timeframe. What have been some of the uh, learning experiences working in the New York market? Um, hmm, good question. We've, we're like two or three months into it, so still learning a lot. Um, one of the things, uh, like like all of the markets, I think they've had a lot of roll, rollout-related issues, right? Not really knowing how and when things are going to happen. Um, so that's going to be the, the, the trick is to make sure we're open at the right time and not open too soon that we're sitting and waiting for samples and have a lot of overhead and, you know, trying to manage a business without any revenue as opposed to coming in too late. And, um, you know, I'd say that when a client picks its, uh, lab, they pretty much stay with that lab. So you have to get in at the right time. It's like kind of akin to how often you change your primary care doctor. Not so much. You know, once you find the one you like, you kind of stick there. Right. Or the one you can live with anyways. Yeah, there you go. Um, I guess some of the positive things coming, it looks like New York is actually going to go after or try to push out that black market or gray market. Uh, so that has to look good when it comes to testing for a more legitimate market. Yeah, I mean, that'll rise, you know, give rise to the whole in the industry there as a whole. So it'll be good for us. Um, less black market uh, weed on the on the market, right? <laughs> Does that ever come up where uh, people are sending you samples and you think that uh, maybe they have nefarious origins? Um, we so in Maine, the rules, the law allows anyone to possess marijuana. So we don't really have to ask where it comes from. We do offer um, patients free testing that don't have tested marijuana or cannabis products. They can come in and get uh, some free testing with us. So I'm sure we've tested some black market product. Do patients take advantage of that service? Um, we're trying to get it out there, people, so people know about it more. Um, we've we have a few people that uh, consistently do it, but yeah, not as much as I'd hope. I'm really trying to help the patients here. Okay. In June, uh, you doubled proprietary te uh, terpene testing. Why'd you do that? So um, you know, there's a there are fairly there are a lot of terpenes out there. There's a limited number that are actually in cannabis, but we try to expand our panel. Uh, you know, the whole idea of buying the most, the highest percent THC product off the shelf, and that's going to be the best one. I think in the more developed markets, that people are starting to understand that that is not what cannabis is. You, you the effect is for much broader reasons than that. It's the terpenes, it's the flavonoids, it's all the other, it's a real chemical fingerprint and profile of the cannabis plant. And that's why we've increased our terpene panel so cultivators, manufacturers can help characterize their product to a more extent and offer maybe more, comp be able to compete with other, uh, in the, uh, other processors that don't give that information. So someone can really go into a dispensary look at the product on the shelf and look at the terpenes and say, I like the way that these made me feel and have a, have a larger profile to be able to do that with. 
going from the main market to the New York market, do you anticipate any growing pains, you know, going into a market that could be multiples uh, larger than one, than the one you're currently in? Um, not, I, I don't think so. Um, we have a pretty good process and, um, my background I've come from, we're running about like anywhere from two to 3000 samples a month here in Maine. And I mean, my previous roles at, um, I've automated laboratories running 20, 30,000. So I'm kind of, I have the experience for it. I'm actually really looking forward to it. When you get to that level and that throughput, you can really start to see efficiencies in a laboratory. And, and scalability, which is exciting. I'm a, my, my bread and butter in the laboratory is real automation and efficiency um, development. So I'm looking forward to that larger scale. How do you say, how do you stay on the forefront of the new equipment that's coming out? And when do you decide that, you know, the ROI is right to bring it in house? So the ROI tends to be, can I get better data quicker and more accurately. Um, that doesn't happen too often with the development of new instruments in our space. The development of new instruments tends to be pretty slow. They get a little more sensitive each year. They get a little more easier to operate. Um, there haven't been huge innovations in the type of analytical chemistry we're using. The innovations tend to happen around the sample prepar preparation and but before it gets to the instrument. So that's really where the science has developed the most in cannabis. We still have the same mass specs. We still have the same types of GCs. We still have the same PCR we're using, but it's all the little solutions and things that we're doing up to the sample in front of that instrument that have really developed. The cannabis science is new, and that's kind of what's exciting me about it is developing these new methods and honing the technology to put get that best answer as fast as possible in front of us. What's some of the equipment that you have in house that you just couldn't live without? <clears throat> yeah. So when we talk about pesticide analysis, we're running um, high resolution or LCMS triple quad. Uh, also for cannabinoids, they can be run there or um, something called a, uh, usually you hear people call it an HPLC. That's really a chromatograph with a type of UV type detector on the end. <laughs> Um, for terpenes and headspace, or, or sorry, terpenes and residual solvent analysis is run on something called a GCMS. It's where we're looking at molecules in the gaseous state. Uh, still run those through a chromatograph and detect them on the end with a mass spec device. Um, and there's many configurations of all this, these equipment, but I'm kind of just running through what we have. Uh, for heavy metals analysis, this is done on something called an ICPMS. Mm -hmm. So these are all different um, in introduction techniques into a mass spectrometer. This uses a plasma that superheats the uh, infusion material and look for elemental compounds. Um, and then there's culture-based and PCR-based technologies for looking at microbes. Culture-based to do your total counts and PCR, which is super sensitive to look at even the presence of one cell, which could be a pathogenic salmonella or coli. Okay. When it comes to... Um, making this specific equipment, are there any manufacturers that are focusing on the needs of the cannabis industry or is it that equipment from other industries are kind of filling the need so far? Yeah, no, your biggest, the, the three big ones, Agilent, uh, Shimatsu and AB, uh, Syx now um, okay. really have focused on the cannabis space the most. So they have uh, Agilent and Shimatsu, for instance, have like a whole suite that you can say, 
give me that and it'll, it'll give you everything you need to run a canvas lab pretty much. <clears throat> Do you have a personal connection to the industry at all? Um, yeah, you know, I, I was always as a, I, I started this journey when I was fairly young and new to, it was my first, um, attempt to open, open a business. And, um, the community is what drew me into it and give me that opportunity to, um, uh, explore the different, um, the, the different options. So when we were out West, I, you know, met, made, made a lot of friends going through, going through to these laboratories, um, experiencing what not to do, what to do and how to do it. So that's been. Does the lab, does that community still exist on the lab side or is it getting so competitive that everyone kind of has their proprietary practices in place? Yeah, it's still pretty, I think it's starting to silo a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, what are your expectations when it comes to federal legalization? And is that something, in your opinion, how is that going to change the industry? The question is when, right? Um, not if. Um, I think descheduling um, will happen eventually. Um, three to five years, probably the absolute earliest, in my opinion. And that's kind of what we I kind of alluded to the fact that it kind of came from that FDA pharmaceutical space. And we've really set up our lab and methodologies to be kind of flip of the switch. We can operate under FDA regulations. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they regulate and if they allow, they, they deschedule it and allow states to still manage or they put in some guidelines of minimum or best practices. Um, but the FDA likes a lot more regulation and it's much more costly. So it will be, I think, It'll, it'll really cause some turmoil in the space <laughs> when it finally happens. It'll open up interstate markets, but the testing, where does the testing have to happen? Do you need a test in every state you sell in? Um, can one lab be in one location be authorized from mul for multiple states? A lot of those questions still would remain. Okay. You know, as you were going through school and uh, before you were a professional, could you have ever guessed that you were going to be uh, a cannabis professional? No, no, no idea. <laughs> Would you have done it any differently? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always things you would have done a little differently. I think I would have been a little less. Uh, I think we, we had high hopes initially for how quick everything would happen. And I think I would have been able to meter my expectations on the speed of, of, of how the market and the business would, would develop. I'm happy where it's ended up and we've got to where we wanted to go. And I just wish I would have metered my expectations there a little bit. Working on New York next, any other States that, uh, you know, Nova might be looking to expand into. Uh, evaluating every day. I had initial, my, I had my eyes initially on Arizona for a little while, but I think there's some things to work out there. Um, Nevada is still interesting to me. Um, so we're every day talking to people in labs out there. Um, there's a lot of labs on the market for sale right now too. So we're looking at those opportunities. Okay. There have been a couple of movements from within the industry, uh, to gain a little bit more cannabis specific certification for labs. Do you think like industry pushed efforts like that are good for the industry? Do you think that'll help kind of raise the bar when it comes to uh, lab performance? Yeah, standardization is something that we're very used to in in the lab space across every industry, and it's needed. We need to find 
we, we need at least a list of minimum standards that you have to be able to hit, right? When I validate something, a methodology, what's the minimum number of replicates I should be looking at to make sure I have consistent reproducible results? I've seen things that are still being done. They're just, it's not science, in my opinion, not good science anyways. Well, thank you very much for taking the time with me today, Chris. I really do appreciate it. But before we get out of here, is there anything else that you want to make sure the Cannabis Equipment News audience knows about yourself or about Nova Lab? Yeah, um, I would. This is a message for cultivators and manufacturers when you're looking for a laboratory. One piece of advice I like to give those individuals is ask your laboratory for the raw data. If you want to know if your lab is doing the right thing, even if you don't understand that data, they can help walk you through it. But if you ever encounter a laboratory that says to you, I don't give my raw data, I don't give my chromatograms, walk away from that laboratory because in my mind, what we're doing and a chromatograph that they're going to show you is not going to give away proprietary information. They can sit down, they can explain their process and their data that you make you feel comfortable that you're getting quality results on the other end. Does that happen a lot where they don't want to give away the raw data? I've... I've heard from clients that, yeah, that, that does happen. And it just, you know, with, with, with all the air quotes again here, shadiness going on in the space, or at least some people still look at the lab, uh, lab space as being, of ha having that issue. I, I, this is one way that us, um, lab operators that are trying to do the right thing can, can get around that and, and help change the perception. Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you again for taking the time and I hope we get a chance to do it again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter and make sure you get it delivered to the inbox first. All right. For Christopher Altamere, CEO of Nova Analytic Lab. I'm David Manti. This is the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast.